Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to Pirates Talk. NCAA tournament bids won't officially be issued until next weekend, but the Seton Hall Pirates have unofficially punched their ticket to March Madness. After struggling for a variety of reasons through the early part of the Big East schedule, COVID and the injury to Bryce Aiken, the principal reasons, Seton Hall has won seven of its last nine, including four straight following its win against Georgetown in the final home game of the season on Wednesday night. Now the question is, can the Pirates win their final game of the season on Saturday on the road against Creighton and maybe get a first round bye in next week's Big East tournament? There is no one better positioned to answer that question and more about the Hall than Gary Cohen. And it is my pleasure to welcome the team's outstanding longtime radio play-by-play announcer to Pirates Talk. Gary, thanks very much for your time. It's being recorded this podcast the morning after Seton Hall won its last home game of the season against Georgetown. So an early morning rise. Are you an early morning riser anyway? No, I, I'm I'm here only for you. I'm a <laughs> nocturnal being. <laughs> well, now but, I'm even more grateful. But, Thank but, you. But Matt, Matt, you you deserve nothing but my full attention, no matter what the hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much. So, what did you make of last night's senior night, where some guys were honored uh, for the second year in a row? Someone, Bryce Aiken, though he didn't play and apparently won't play the rest of the way, was participating in his third senior night. What did you take out of it? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, and Kevin made this point after the game, and so did Miles Kale. Senior night has not been kind to to Seton Hall over the last few years, and um, I think a lot of emotion has expended before the game. And in fact, Kevin in his post game radio interview said maybe they're going to change things up in the future. I know some schools do their senior night ceremonies after the game, um, so maybe that's something uh, we're going to see in the future. But um, you know, Georgetown is a much more formidable opponent than their record would indicate. And I know it's easy for people to roll their eyes at a team that's, you know, 0 and 18 of the league, but I've watched most of their games this year and they have been super competitive almost every game. They just, they, they just fall short. Um, and that was the case again last night. They, they put on a heck of a show and uh, the pirates played pretty well. They didn't play their, their a game the way they did uh, the previous Saturday against Xavier, but they played okay, and yet they still had to scratch out a win. But, you know, this team is um, its evolving before our eyes, and it's really been fascinating to watch the last few weeks. So what is the difference in the last couple of weeks? Is it just a matter of the acceptance that Aiken's not there, Richmond's, Kadari Richmond's developing role, uh, Jameer Harris finding a touch? Yeah, I think that's, that's a big piece. And, and it's not just... Um, Kadari, although Kadari certainly knows that the ball is in his hands and, and he is getting better and better by the game. His court vision has never been a question, but he really has an ability to slow down the game and find the right openings. I, you know, the, the, the pirates are so, um, pick and roll heavy in, in their offense and the patience that, that Richmond showed, especially in that game against Georgetown was really phenomenal. The ability to come off the screen and wait for just the right moment to make the pass. And that led to a lot of easy baskets, plus his ability to post up against smaller guards. And then when they double team him, find the open man, that's been a huge piece for them lately. But to me, the even bigger story is Jameer Harris, because, you know, he came in, to be a standstill three-point shooter. And for most of the season, 
let's face it, he was lost. He wasn't shooting well. He wasn't really able to find his spots. He was putting himself in difficult positions by taking the ball to the basket. And he has completely evolved into a different kind of player over the last few weeks since it's become clear that he needs to be uh, the second point guard. Um, His court vision has been better. His defense has been a stellar Um, his understanding of when to shoot and when not to shoot, but also his ability to take the ball to the basket has evolved in a way that I didn't think that we were going to see this year. And for a a fifth year player who has been a certain type of player his entire career and has struggled to adapt to um, playing at a higher level um, after coming out of, uh, out of American and, and transferring to Seton hall, I've I've just been blown away by Harris over the last few weeks, and I think he's a huge key to what's going on right now. Beginning of the year, he couldn't find that downtown range. He's become a much better shooter as time's gone on. I don't want to use the word intimidated, but was he deferential to the fact that Bryce was there, Bryce Aiken was there, and now he's trying to live up? I mean, Bryce would hit shots from anywhere and and had that alpha male personality. Was was the fact that he's cleared out now? the real reason that Jameer Harris has now accepted that role and flourished in it? No, I don't think that's it. I, I just think that his role has changed. Um, mm. Matt, I think that, you know, he was being called upon to be a two guard, to be a standstill shooter. And frankly, Seton Hall didn't do a great job of putting him in great positions to make his shot. He is an outstanding shooter, but he was not taking the best shots early on in the season. And a lot of that is on the, you know, the other guys for, for not setting him up properly. But also I think that he, um, he was dealing with the speed of the game at this level. It's an entirely different game. Um, things that you can get away with um, playing in, in a, a, a mid major league, you can't get away with in the big East. The bodies are stronger. The players are faster. And I think it took him a while to adjust. And then to have to adjust positions on the fly, I think uh, it's all to his credit that he's been able to do as well as he has. And Kevin Willard addressed it in the post-game comments he made last night that he, as the coach, had to change the offense. And he said there's eight new plays that he's put in because of Bryce Aiken's absence. And so the team has had to work around that and become comfortable with some new sets. You may know this uh, as a true insider at Seton Hall, but I was a little surprised. Listen, Kevin's hinted all along. I mean, he's kind of wavered earlier. Well, maybe Bryce will be back. We'll see. And then lately, it's more like, hey, we're going to deal without him. But last night when he was introduced, Bryce Aiken was introduced on senior night. Like there was a comment in his introduction made by uh, Tim McLuhan, the PA announcer, that said he's done, essentially. Uh, Is that did that catch you by surprise or did you know that? you know, he's really done for the year. No, we've, we've known for weeks that Bryce wasn't coming back. And frankly, Kevin said it a few weeks ago, people just didn't want to pay attention. Um, you know, Bryce, uh, had a concussion last year, um, that right at the end of the season and that really knocked him flat for about a month. And as you know, um, when you've had a concussion, the next concussion tends to be harder to come back from. And, you know, I've dealt with this, um, you know, with the Mets, with Jason Bay and with Ryan Church. You just never know about guys getting concussions, especially if they've, they've had them before. So, yeah, we've we've I think everybody associated with the team has known in their hearts for the last several weeks that Bryce was not going to be able to come back. And frankly, I think that that knowledge 
really kicked this team to another level. Um, there's a tendency sometimes when a player, especially a key player, is hurt for guys to be looking over their shoulder and basically saying, well, well, you know, we'll be okay once so-and-so gets back. And once you know for sure that that player is not returning, I think that makes everybody else take much bigger ownership of their own role. And I honestly, I think we've seen that with Jared Roden over the last few weeks. I, I think that Jared was a little bit lost um, in the middle of the season. And I think that he has really taken back command of this team as the, as the alpha dog. I mean, let's face it. Bryce was front and center the, the, uh, the few weeks before he got hurt. I mean, he got, he was the guy to go to late in games. He was the guy who was filling it up. Um, and everything changed when he got hurt and it took a couple of weeks to adjust to that. But, you know, Jared is clearly the, you know, the, the man right now, um, which I think was the plan going into the season. And I think it's reflected in his play. He is uh, certainly an outstanding player, and he has asserted himself again. When Seton Hall got off to the great start, there were visions of uh, sugar plums dancing in everyone's head saying, hey, this has this team has enough ingredients and enough depth that they're going to go deep in the NCAA tournament. Then COVID and, and the injury to Bryce Aiken and the stumble and, well, who is this team? And Will they even get invited if, if they stay on this path? Maybe not. Now it's clear that they've righted the ship and you discussed all the reasons why. But what's different about this team? Can it go as deep as that earlier Seton Hall team? At least everyone thought that Seton Hall team earlier in the year could go. Well, I think that's an, an interesting question. Um, you know, not having Aiken takes away a certain factor that gave the Pirates the impetus to be able to beat some really good teams, uh, notably uh, Texas, um, early in the season. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, they, they still have the same front court depth, and and that was tested. You know, uh, Obiago and Samuel were out for those uh, those early Big East games. Um, it took Samuel a while to get himself righted again, but the last two weeks Tyrese has really started to play well he's that pogo stick off the offensive glass again um he's uh, contributed some monster jams most notably Saturday against Xavier that baseline drive when Xavier had cut it to six completely turned the game around in, in the Pirates favor again he's got that ability and and I think that now they've got the front court depth that they had early in the season plus you know, Trey Jackson has become such a, a, an offensive force in terms of his three-point shooting. We saw that only briefly early in the game against Michigan, but had not seen it as consistently as we've seen it lately. So you've got this four-headed monster inside, which a lot of teams uh, are going to have trouble contending with. And, and Kevin's got a lot of different buttons he can push, you know, with Obiagu and, and, and Jackson and Samuel and Yetna. The question is, you know, the the backcourt depth. If, if Kadari Richmond gets into foul trouble, um, does Jameer Harris have the wherewithal to run a team for 30 minutes? Uh, we've only seen that happen once, the day that Kadari was sick and could only play 15 minutes. So I, it's not as deep a team as it was early in the season because of the, the loss of Aiken, but they've got a lot of good pieces. I mean, we haven't even talked about Miles Kale, who um, – I just think has had a phenomenal year. It's just great consistency defensively, great leadership. Um, and, and at times has been the shooter that they need him to be. I, I just think that it's a quality team with quality personnel. 
Um, they just don't quite have the depth that they had early in the season. And I, I think if they get into a, a foul situation, that's you know where they might run into trouble in a tournament game. The regular season is not over. Uh, you'll head tomorrow with the club to Omaha as they wrap things up against Creighton on Saturday afternoon. Ryan Nemhart is out for the season. He gets hurt 10 days ago or so. And everyone thought, well, that's it for Creighton. And then they, at home last night, they beat UConn. So that won't be an easy game. And it's never easy, it seems, for Seton Hall, at least lately, uh, to play in Omaha. How important is it for Seton Hall to win that game? Uh, What implications are there in it? And how much of a challenge will Creighton be? Well, uh, to me, uh, Greg McDermott is as good a coach as there is. He he is uh, just phenomenal the way he's able to shift gears based on his personnel. Um, you know, last night they had a 16 point lead, um, and UConn came back to tie it and had five different chances to take the lead and never did. And, and you give a lot of credit to Creighton for that. Ryan Kaufbrenner had the game of his life last night. He's their seven footer, their sophomore. Uh, he made every big basket down the stretch. He altered shots. He was phenomenal. Um, it was interesting. The first meeting between Seton Hall and Creighton um, pirates that first half played maybe the best defensive half I've seen them play under Kevin Willard. And it started with Iko Biagu blocking Ryan Kalkbrenner at the rim. And that really seemed to knock Kalkbrenner back on his heels. So it's going to be very interesting to watch that matchup, particularly early on. You're right. It, it's a tough place to play. They get 17,000 people in that building every day. It's the longest trip that you make in the Big East. So it's it's not easy to play in Omaha, but there are big implications. Number one, if Seton Hall wins and then Marquette loses later on to St. John's, then the Pirates could would get a bye in the first round of the Big East tournament. So that would be important. Um, they would need only three games to win the tournament rather than four. But I think even more importantly, you know, most of the prognosticators have had Seton Hall on the number eight line proceeding in the NCAA tournament. And if you can possibly get off that eight line, that gives you a much better chance to advance past the first weekend, because, you know, if you're on the eight line, that puts you in position to play a number one seat in the second round. And, you know, Seton Hall has been there before. So um, <laughs> it would be great if they could get up to a seven or even, you know, a six with a win at Creighton and then a good run in the Big East tournament. Yeah. Um, you don't want to get too far ahead, but you're right. You don't want to wind up playing a number one seed in the second game of the NCAA tournament. So what are you looking forward to with the Big East tournament? Uh, what do you see happening? How does it play out? And how much enjoyment, I guess it depends on how far the run is, but how much enjoyment do you get out of all these teams coming into the garden? It's not the old Big East, but it's still awesome. What's it like for you as an announcer and what are you looking forward to? Well, this year, I mean, I, I know we say this every year that the, the Big East is is um, is so deep, but this is the deepest it's been since the league was reconstructed. I mean, you've got 11 teams in the league, and other than Georgetown, every single team has a chance to win every single game um, from one to 10, from, you know, Providence down to, to DePaul. They all have a chance to win every game. And it's going to be, to me, the most wide open Big East tournament that there's been. I know Providence has had a magical season. I know Villanova and UConn probably have the best teams, but I would not be shocked if anybody won the tournament. 
other than maybe Georgetown, who won it last year, <laughs> coming in with a losing record and 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 winning the Big East tournament. So um, I, I think that it's going to be a fascinating four days. I think that every game has a chance to be competitive, and um, you know, I, let the chips fall where they may. You know, it, it, in terms of getting to the NCAA tournament, it's only going to matter to a few teams. Um, who who wouldn't otherwise be in to to win the tournament and get the automatic bid because I think seven teams legitimately are going to get into the tournament from out of the eleven in the Big East but um, but the competition is always great and I think having Connecticut back in the league adds a lot of juice because you know their fans travel awfully well it used to be that um, that you know Syracuse would be the team that would um, you know bring in the most fans to the Garden. But since they left, it's been a lot more split. You know, Villanova's got their contingent, Seton Hall, St. John's have theirs. But the UConn fans really, I think, bring a lot of juice to it. And, you know, um, I I was very skeptical about Connecticut rejoining the league because, you know, their university profile is so different from the other 10 teams. But from a basketball standpoint and from a fan standpoint, it's phenomenal and um and they've had a terrific season and um and they'll certainly be one of the favorites and with the two teams you mentioned uh, Villanova and UConn uh, if Seton Hall can get off the sixth spot which is where they're sitting now if things play out as they hope they will this weekend and they can get that by and wouldn't that be nice not to play the 930 game on, on the opening? Yeah. You know what that also means? It means that that they have to be St. John's fans on Saturday night. That's right. St. John's is, pl- is playing Marquette. <laughs> so if Seton Hall beats Creighton, they're going to have to root for St. John's to beat Marquette. And and frankly, um, Marquette's been struggling coming down the stretch of the season. So um, that's going to be interesting um, to 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 watch Seton Hall fans rooting for uh, for their rivals. Yeah, exactly. But it also, you know, it would move Seton Hall off of that uh, line with Villanova and UConn. That's the toughest part of the draw, with all due respect to to, to Providence uh, yeah, as the I Big mean, East Prov- regular season champ. For, for sure. I mean, Providence has had a fantastic, magical season. Um, they've had all the breaks go their way. They've made those breaks happen, but you know, they've also had, they hate to hear that they're lucky, but, you know, part of that luck is that they didn't have to play three conference games, including Seton Hall at, at the Prudential Center um, because of, of COVID cancellations. Um, so, you know, they've had their, their share of fortune and they're playing great and they've had a phenomenal atmosphere at the dunk, but I don't think they're going to be the favorites going into the tournament. A couple of questions, and then I'll let you run. And we appreciate uh, you, nocturnal animal, you getting up early in the morning <laughs> to give give me some some of your time. Uh, these are kind of uh, scattershot in the way. Georgetown, Ofer in the Big East, vote of confidence recently, uh, just before the Seton Hall game for Patrick Ewing. He did lead them to a Big East tournament championship last year and into the postseason. What's going on there, and is he on a very short leash, meaning next year? My understanding is that Patrick is beloved by the university president and that he'll be there as long as he wants to be. The biggest issue that Patrick has run into has been that some of his best players have left, mm-hmm. right? J- James Akinjo and Mac McClung and this last year, uh, Kudus Wahab, all transferred out. And I don't know what the issue is there, but the fact of the matter is, and you saw this last night, 
they've got some good young talent on that team. I mean, Dante Harris is a sophomore, a terrific point guard. Colin Holloway, sophomore, played a terrific game last night. Um, Amina Muhammad, freshman, he's their best player. So they've got a lot of hope for the future if those guys stay around because they play hard. Um, they obviously are a little bit short in terms of talent this year. But if Patrick can keep bringing in that kind of talent and keep them there, I think they'll be fine. Um, you know, Georgetown is still a really good brand name, and and who wouldn't want to come play for Patrick Ewing? He's had some success there. Um, he just hasn't been able to retain his players as well as he would have liked. And, you know, these days with the transfer portal, it's it's harder than ever to to keep that court together. So I think that's the challenge for Ewing over the next couple of years. Well, I'm sure he's looking at it and looking inward and if not himself, he'll have some help doing that because Georgetown's got to figure it out. And you're right. Who would want to be the president or the athletic director that fires Patrick Ewing? <laughs> I mean, you might yeah. like him personally and for all he's done for the university, their greatest basketball player. But how do you fire Patrick Ewing because of all he's done for the school? Yeah. I mean, we, we had a similar situation at St. John's with, with Chris Mullen and mm -hmm. they eventually let him go. But I, I think it's a very different situation. I, I you know, um, Mullen came in without a lot of coaching experience. Patrick had 15 years as an assistant in the NBA. He knows what he's doing and he's coached them well. The, the, again, the question is about player retention. Uh, one of my other questions is about Jameer Harris. He said he hasn't made a decision about next year. He has another year that he could play. He was honored last night, senior night. Do you think he comes back to play with his brother? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I, I, I really don't have enough information to, to know. Um, it's an interesting prospect for him to play with his brother, but his brother you know, has been hurt most of the last two years. Yeah. You know, the Pirates have two Jaquans coming in, Jaquan Harris and Jaquan Sanders. Sanders is uh, is probably the better prospect of the two, a guy who spurned St. John's to, to come to Seton Hall, and I think he'll get some playing time right away. But Jaquan Harris is, I think, is more of a question mark because he has had um, so many injuries coming in. And um, frankly, for a, a Seton Hall program, that it's going to have Brandon Weston coming off knee surgery and going to have um, uh, Jahari Long coming off knee surgery. Um, it, it's going to be um, a little dicey bringing in another guy coming off um, serious injury issues. So I think all of that is is kind of questionable whether Jaquan Harris is going to play much next year. And I don't know if that plays into Jameer's decision to come back, but um, I think that's something to keep an eye on. It's apparent by your relationship uh, with Kevin Willard, and it comes shining through in your interviews. The post game's a lot of fun to listen. It's must listen uh, when he comes over after the game. Uh, what do you think he's going to do moving ahead? His name's going to pop up. It always is because he's such a good coach. But, you know, Maryland keeps uh, popping up on the radar as a possibility. What do you think? I think that he will certainly listen to whatever opportunities are out there. Um, Kevin's at an interesting point in his personal life. He's got two sons who are in eighth and ninth grade. And, um, you know, when Kevin was in high school, his dad changed jobs. And I know that that was something that resonated with him as something that he did not want to do to his sons. So I think that he will listen this year but I think that if he doesn't leave this year, and I think that's um, a real good possibility that he will stay, 
um, that he'll probably be here at least till his kids are through high school. Cause I don't think he wants to, to wrench them away. Um, I think that's a huge consideration for Kevin, but you know, if there's a, a big job offer out there and I don't think Maryland is necessarily that job, but I think if there is a big job offer out there, he will certainly listen. Um, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed from a very selfish standpoint that he sticks around because, um, I have uh, I have never been around a guy who is as um, accommodating and understanding of the role of the media and um, and frankly is so much fun to to talk to and interview as Kevin Willard. He's um, he's just been a gem, and um, I I personally feel really gratified to have had him around here for 12 years. And, and I hope he's here for a lot longer. And I think that's echoed by just about every Seton Hall fan. When you think back to what he inherited and how he had to change things around, he's got the program in such a good direction. It's his program soup to nuts, but I do understand at some point he may want to see what else is out there. Last one. I had Dave Sims on a program a couple of weeks ago, maybe a <laughs> month ago. Now he said, I can talk about anything but baseball. Are you, do you have the same prohibition because of what's going on with the lockout? No, I can talk about anything you want because I am not a Mets club employee. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought it was the difference. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I have, I have no insight, um, except to tell you that when, when there's baseball, I'll be there, <laughs> you know, or I'm, I'm just waiting them for the, to, for them to flip my switch and, and then, then I'm off and running. Um, but I have, I have no insight. Um, the, the only thing I will say is that right now I'm not heartbroken because the uh, the lockout gives me the opportunity to do more Seton Hall games and get through the basketball season without interruption. <laughs> and I think but, that's also music to Seton Hall fans. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Interrupted. Yeah. So because, you know, I I say this all the time that the Mets are my job and I love it. But Seton Hall is my passion and uh, doing college basketball on the radio is the most fun thing I do all year. And the more I can get of it, the happier I am. Well, Gary, I'm thrilled and honored that you spent some time with us on the show. And I do hope baseball comes back. But yeah, if it goes a few weeks longer, this labor dispute and it enables you to have a long run behind the mic, let's (laughs) hope that happens. Seton Hall has to hold up its end of the bargain, too. Wouldn't that be a beautiful world? It would certainly be a great world to be uh, playing in the first few days of April. Yeah, indeed. All right, Gary, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the call on Saturday and then into the Big East and hopefully a long run after that. Thanks very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. Special thanks to Gary Cohen for his time and for agreeing to do so in the morning. As someone who knows a little something about the lifestyle that broadcasters live, I certainly appreciate his relatively early arising to offer his insights. Seton Hall fans have been spoiled to have Gary and his radio partner Dave Popkin on the call for these past 19 seasons. They are a great listen among the best in the country. While we wish the men's team the best of luck, a shout-out also goes to the women's team, which plays in the Big East tournament that begins Friday at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Head coach Tony Bazella's crew finished the season winning nine of its last ten games, including victories in their final three games. The Hall finished at 17-11 overall, 12-8 in the Big East, and is seeded six. They will play Butler in their tournament opener Friday afternoon at four, with the winner advancing to the quarterfinals where Creighton awaits. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks as always to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the program and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. I'm Matt Laughlin. Until next time, be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates. Pirates.